Hello everybody, it's it's been a while, but here I am again, welcome back, I am the El Paso Conservative, and today we're going to be talking about something interesting, or more of an amalgam of events that have occurred since I've been away. And we're just going to go ahead and lump all that together for for convenience, for my convenience. Anyways, but before we get into all of that, I would highly, highly suggest all of you listening to go out and on Facebook and like the page for Open Carry Texas and look at their video of, <clears throat> excuse me, the Texas Senate debate for gun control. I think it's one of the most interesting things that you will go out and see. And there are two takeaway points since I was there. I did testify to the Senate committee, and I can tell you one of two things. One, the Texas GOP has exactly no spine when its values are under attack. And two, Texas is unfortunately leaning more towards the Democrats, and we can't have that happen. So I want you to go out there, I want you to support Open Carry Texas, and I want you to go out and I want you to be an informed citizen of your Second Amendment rights. So, what the title of this episode basically says it all. Is there really a case for Donald Trump? And now most of you listening would very much agree with that point. That there is a case for Donald Trump. And there are those of you out there who may not agree that there is a case for Donald Trump. Now, let's just go ahead and, and summarize what we know. So, Donald Trump was inaugurated as the 45th President of the United States on January 20th, 2017. And from the very first day of his presidency, and even in his campaign, he stirred up controversy. I think we're going to all agree to that. The controversies surrounding the Trump campaign varied from Russian puppet to paying off a porn star. And all this filled, fueled the ever-long 24-hour news cycles in the run-up to the 2016 election. President Trump has always said that there has been a conspiracy against him ever since he announced his candidacy in Trump Tower. All of the members of the media, of course, have been at odds with President Trump and will continue to be at odds with him even after his second term in the White House. Sunrise, sunset. President Trump, in his defense, has been telling really anyone that would listen to him that there was an underlying conspiracy against him. And all members of the press have all but denied this. Is there really a case for Donald Trump? Most conservatives would say yes. Most Democrats, liberals, would say no. But let us start with the Mueller investigation. Because this is really the start of the president's talk of hoaxes and witch hunts. In 2017, then-acting Attorney General Rod Rosenstein appointed Robert Mueller, who, as we now know was in talks with the president about becoming the new FBI director to conduct an investigation on Russian interference in the 2016 election. In his report, Mueller would state that he would not make a determination whether or not the president had committed obstruction, and that he will leave that to the Department of Justice. Over the course of 674 days, Mueller would indict Paul Manafort, former Trump campaign manager, due to his dealings with Ukraine. Mueller determined that there was not substantial evidence that members of the Trump campaign colluded with Russia 
and the Department of Justice cleared the president of obstruction. Democrats all over the country had hoped that this would finally be the day that Trump would be defeated, but nothing ever materialized that would prove that. Representative Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, repeatedly camped outside CNN's green room, would go on CNN and say that he had undeniable proof that Trump had colluded with Russia. When the report found that, in fact, he had no such evidence, Schiff had so much egg on his face, you could practically hit him in the face with a frying pan and have an omelet. Attorney General Bill Barr began to investigate the origins of the Mueller probe with a report by the Inspector General still pending. With what little information we have, it paints an interesting picture. Also, a bit of news, the report is now set to be a criminal investigation. So we're just going to have to keep our eyes out and look at that in the following weeks. So what do we know? We know that the Washington Beacon hired an opposition research firm, Fusion GPS, to dig up dirt on then-candidate Trump. We also know that in 2016, the FBI was investigating Paul Manafort for his dealings in Ukraine before he joined the Trump campaign. After Manafort joined the campaign, the investigation was broadened out so that it, it could include that it would include the entire Trump campaign. The FBI then went before a federal judge to get a FISA request in order to illegally wiretap Trump Tower. What did the FBI present to the judge in order to get the request approved? The Steele dossier. Now, the Steele dossier was named after British spy Christopher Steele, who had previously worked with the FBI as an informant. Mr. Steele then commissioned by DNC and Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer Mike Mark Elias to compile invest intelligence reports for the Clinton campaign that would link Trump and Manafort to Russia. So let's summarize what happened here. During an election year, the Obama FBI was investigating Paul Manafort, rightly as he should have, but after Manafort joined the Trump campaign, the FBI unjustly targeted a political rival. They would then use political opposition research or I should say a political opposition research paper as the sole basis to wiretap an American citizen. <clears throat> the mere fact that the Obama administration willingly wiretapped an American citizen should put the magnitude of the situation at hand in perspective. There is a hyper-reality that exists around the Democratic Party. This type of reality is one where impeachment is right around the corner and Trump will simply vanish from the face of the earth. We basically saw this reality throughout the three-year Mueller investigation that ended with exactly nothing happening, even though high-ranking Democrats kept saying that collusion was as clear as day. Are we seeing history repeat itself now in the wake of this impeachment court inquiry? As of today, the House has not voted on impeachment just yet. So are these new series of events really a legitimate concern for national security, or rather, another attack on Donald Trump? Two things can be true at once. There is a reason to be fearful in this situation of national security, or it could be another coordinated attack on Donald Trump. If the evidence points to the former 
then it is most definitely an impeachable offense, and I will stand by that. However, if the evidence points to the latter, then we should rightly demand the resignation of those who not only wasted time on this but spent taxpayer dollars to persuade their own political agenda. So you may be asking yourself, what do the facts and available evidence point to? The latter. So what exactly do we do as a general public? Or what do we have as the general public have to draw conclusions from? Or saying what is available to us in order to make our own determinations of this? Well, let's first talk about the whistleblower report that started this whole Ukraine business in the first place. We know now that the whistleblower is a CIA agent who made the complaint to the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community. And the IG, which I'm just going to abbreviate to save time because it doesn't roll off the tongue that well. Then the IG deemed the report as urgent and notified Congress of the complaint. That was the original timeline of events that we were introduced to. However, with all things in politics, things get more complicated from here. In the whistleblower complaint, we are met with concerns about President Trump's July 25th phone call with President Zelensky. And the whistleblower believes that Trump engaged in a quid pro quo with Zelensky over Ukraine aid being withheld by Trump so that Ukraine could investigate both Joe and Hunter Biden's dealings with Ukraine. In 2016, Hunter Biden served on the board of an oil and natural gas company, Burisma, taking in $50,000 a month for apparently being the vice president's son. Burisma was being prosecuted by Ukrainian prosecutor Viktor Shokin, who was believed to be corrupt by the EU and the Obama administration. Then-Vice President Biden threatened to withhold $1 billion in American loan guarantees if that prosecutor was not fired. He was ousted, and the loan guarantees went to Ukraine in the end. Those chain of events seem suspicious, but, and I reiterate this, but if it was to battle corruption in Ukraine, then that's one thing. But if it was to stop Shokin from continuing his case into Burisma, that is an impeachable offense and a crime. Now that we have established the relevant context of the phone call, let's start looking more in-depth at the complaint itself. The whistleblower did not have first-hand knowledge with regards to the call, only second-hand information of what was said between Trump and Zelensky. We now know what was said because we have the copy of the transcript of the phone call. So theoretically speaking, we know more than the whistleblower did when he was making his own complaint. Now, I should stop here and, and say that I believe that the whistleblower acted in good faith and that he took the report through the proper channels. But, and this is a huge but, ladies and gentlemen, we must first ask the question that if answered correctly, could shine more light into this already dark situation. Why did a representative Adam Schiff, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, tweet out the exact contents and points made by the whistleblower two weeks before the complaint was available to Congress? Did Schiff help draft the complaint, or did he have any involvement with the whistleblower at all? While we have no conclusive evidence that Shift helped draft the whistleblower complaint, we do know that the whistleblower met with aides from Shift's office and that aides relayed information to Shift. Does this 
mean that this is an attack on President Trump. No, however, it is seeming like everything is falling into place in regard to this impeachment inquiry being nothing more than Robert Robert Mueller reports, or I should say the Mueller report, part two, Electric Boogaloo. Ben Shapiro, editor for Daily Wire, laid out three laid out the three strongest angles that the Democrats could take on their impeachment quest. One, President Trump withheld Ukraine aid as leverage for Ukraine to investigate Joe and Hunter Biden. Two, President Trump attempted to cover up that this call existed. And three, the mere act of a president asking a foreign power to investigate corruption is inherently an impeachable offense. So let's start with this first one and work our way through this argument and let's see if they hold up. With what information we have and the transcript of the call in hand, we can say that there was no establishment of any quid pro quo of any kind. If we keep in mind that Zelensky wasn't aware that the U.S. had withheld the aid until August, that means that the narrative is on shaky ground. Actually, no, it proves this theory because how do you establish a quid pro quo? What are the participants of the phone call had no idea that aid was being withheld? Anyways, so the next point, being that Trump attempted to cover up all of this. Considering the fact that the White House has released the transcript of the call, and they're allowing bureaucrats to testify to the House Judiciary Committee, committee, I would think that if the original goal was in fact to cover up everything, then Trump did a pretty shitty job at that. The last point is that if... The last point is one that actually... That is actually used by House Democrats. That really shows double standards at work here. If we are saying that the mere aspect of asking another country to investigate corruption, then Senators Patrick Leahy, Dick Durbin, and Bob Mendez should be impeached because last year they sent a letter to the Ukrainian government demanding that they comply with the Mueller probe. Or we should arrest Hillary Clinton and the DNC chairman for actively colluding with the Ukrainian ambassador to get dirt on Trump and his campaign chairman. As I stated in the fourth paragraph, this really isn't an impeachment inquiry because the House up until now have not voted to begin the process. Hours before the most recent Democratic debate, Speaker Pelosi announced at a press conference that the House would not vote on impeachment anytime soon. While there is a plethora of reasons I could present to you, I'm going to combine the most likely reasons together into one. There are not enough votes in the House to impeach, and they have no conclusive evidence that would result in not only credible articles of impeachment, but also a strong case against the president. In that press conference, Speaker Pelosi stated that while this president's actions, they somehow always lead to Putin which is a clear indication that the Democrats really haven't been paying attention to the lessons that they learned from their own fruitless investigations. As time passes, the American public begins to see that the Dems seem to have abandoned their party platform and resorted to Orange Man Bad. This is one of the many reasons why Republicans take an issue with this. Because the goalposts have shifted so radically that it is impossible to actually establish a standard. The only standard that seems to apply is a double standard, and nobody wants to play under those sets of rules. 
So, what does this all mean? Well, it means that up until now, it seems like impeachment is almost guaranteed by the House. Will there be a conviction of the Senate? Mm, no, nah, not even likely. Are there enough votes to actually have a trial in the Senate? Yeah, that's more possible. But do I think that President Trump is going to get removed from office? No, not in the slightest. And you could see that. I mean, polls show that he has 87% approval rating amongst Republicans. You know, if Republicans don't back Trump and they abandon him now, I think that spells death for the Republican Party. Because in a way, President Trump has really showed the Republicans how to grow a spine and push back. And I think if they go back on that, they go back on him, I think it just really shows how spineless our GOP is and how willing they are to just toe the Democratic line. And I think if that happens, then that is the death of the Republican Party. Now, before we go any further with this, I would like to thank Open Carry Texas and Gun Owners of America for allowing me to testify to the Texas Senate or a committee of the Texas Senate about gun control. Again, if you didn't hear the beginning of the show, I suggest that you go and watch it. And I will definitely put a link into the description of the podcast so you can go ahead and take a look at it. It was interesting to say the least and funny to say the least. We were sitting beside Moms Demand Action and boy, let me tell you, I have never gotten that stare before. I We all know what we're talking about. You see someone you don't like and you give them that stare. That stare. And if I can, for a moment, I would like to talk to all of my listeners out in the great state of Texas. The GOP is in trouble. They have absolutely no spine to defend their points. And I guess I should elaborate on that. Well, while a gentleman was testifying... Keep in mind, this gentleman was a member of the armed forces. And he was reading aloud from the Republican Party of Texas, their mission statement and what they believed. And their party platform, I should say. He read aloud from their party platform. And he was interrupted by the chairwoman. Excuse me, kind of getting over the sickness at the moment, but that's not what we're talking about. He was interrupted by Chairman Joanne Huffman, who said, not all Republicans believe that. After the gentleman from the panel read out loud, the party stands on red flag gun laws. And I'm just going to say that that is frightening. Because we have politicians out there who we elect, mind you, 
to represent our interest who don't even believe that. And that, to me, is scary. And it's amazing. It's one thing to read that in the headlines, right? Like you, you, if you read that in a newspaper, or you read that on CNN, or you read that on the Texas uh, Tribune, you know, that would be one thing. But actually hearing somebody say right in front of you that, oh, no, we all don't agree on that. And I know that there are bound to be differences with everyone in the Republican Party with the Republican platform. I get that. But what kind of Republican doesn't stand up for the Second Amendment? My, 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 okay, mind that. If we took the Second Amendment out of the equation, what kind of Republican doesn't stand for individual rights in the face of big government? I have not met any Republican who has said, you know what? I want a bigger government. And you know what? I don't like these rights. You ain't going to just give them up. You know, I've never met a Republican who's said that. And I think what is happening is what's going to happen or what has happened in Arizona where there are people who are like the hawk Republican for votes and then once they get into office, they're basically Democrats. And they market themselves as a tough conservative. I think that's despicable. I really do. But, uh, I mean... What can you do? What can you do? The most we can do is... Hope that those that we elect into office can actually, or will actually, stand up for what the Republican Party believes and what we as the constituency believe. Now, I'm going to read to you from a gentleman who I've had the pleasure, and I mean, he is an absolute pleasure to be around. I met him at the Senate hearing as well. Uh, we had a, they had a table out in front of Utah. Oh, in the, I guess you could say the breezeway a park within the university. And I just got to tell you, walking down from class and seeing a Texas flag with an AR-15 on it, says, come and take it. Mind-boggling. Mind-bogglingly awesome. So I'm going to read to you from a post and of this man, Chris Yost. And he is, met him, he's a real chill dude. He is a veteran as well. And I'm going to read to you what he said. Remember, mind you, this is quite long, but he said, In the aftermath of what I viewed as a successful stick to the man hearing before our state Senate, Open Car Texas and I am proud to be with you and fight for you as legislative director for Open Carry Texas and El Paso. With my exposing at least one of the senators, who in this case would be our very own represents this area, Jose Rodriguez, for the ultimate agenda to strip away Texas identity by making Texas, like other states, 
as evidenced by Jose Rodriguez's other state courts found red flag to be constitutional, despite the U.S. Supreme Court not ruling on national red flag. And the Constitution is the de facto law of the land. In regards to red flag, the Supreme Court has ruled that the right to bear arms is in the highest category of liberty recognized in law, at the same levels as the freedoms of speech, religion, and the press. Our founding fathers recognized the right to bear arms wasn't bestowed by the government. It pre-existed government, and if the government can bestow a right, it can also take it away. The Second Amendment provides the same level of protection of gun ownership to the good guys and the potentially bad. It wasn't written to protect hunters, but to protect citizens against a tyrannical government and its agents. Read the Declaration of Independence. It lays out what they were thinking. A person can think bad things and even talk about them, but until they actually act on them, their thinking and talk is constitutionally protected. That doesn't mean we agree with them, or even like it. Most don't. But protecting these rights is the price of freedom. And I think he really nails that on the head. Perfectly, perfectly speaking. What you're talking about on a red flag law is the ability to suspend due process. Because we think something is going to happen. And I have... I mean, here, out, out here in El Paso, that's not really an issue because not most of us are kind of mind-your-own-business type of people. And one could say that that type of mentality that you keep to yourself is what has led to this isolated society where we don't talk anymore and our values aren't being transmitted as much as they used to. But back to the point. What if you're out in California and you're a Trump supporter and your neighbor or most of your neighbors are not and they think you're racist and you're a white supremacist? They can legally call the police and say, hey, white supremacist, come take away his guns. And the police can constitutionally, according to some state courts, come to your house, peel away it just rip away the Second Amendment from you and your due process rights at the snap of a finger, just like that. Does that scare you? I mean, it scares me because the simple thought of somebody coming into my house and taking my right away from me is the very, by very definition, tyranny. And I'm not saying that we should take up arms and fight police. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in a theoretical case, this is a violation of our most valued rights. The value to protect ourselves, our families, and our values, and the ability to have due process. Do I think that it's going to come down? In Texas, do I honestly believe that Texas is going to be one of those states where we declare red flag laws constitutional? Of course not. No, no, of course not. Because Texas' identity has always been God, guns, and family. And that is what is fantastic about this state. Any of you who are listening around the world 
or in different states of the Union will probably know that, that Texas is famous for holding Republican ideals, God, guns, and family. That idea has kind of faded in most recent memory, but Texans are willing to protect those rights and protect those ideals. And I'm not saying that Texans are prone to violence. Texans are not. Texans know that they Texans know when it is time to debate and when it is time to take action. And that is what separates us, I believe, from most of the other states in the union. But like I said, definitely worth a a watch. I think those of you who agree with my viewpoint or I should say with the organizations of open carry who agree that the second amendment is a indeed a right and shall not be infringed will get a lot of information out of this those of you who are kind of on the fence I think it does provide both viewpoints properly and like I said I'll leave a link in the uh, description of this podcast episode so you can go check it out I also put in the Facebook information for both open carry Texas <clears throat> excuse me and gun owners of America so you can go give them a like and you can go ahead and join because all of you out there can help spread the ultimate truth that at the heart of gun control is an attempt on attempt by the government to steal our rights anyways back to our case for Donald Trump did you guys hear about this? Uh, there was a bombshell leak from CNN that brings forward the political bias of that news network. Now, before we dive into it, let me say that all news channels have a political bias. Most of the mainstream media, as we know, has a left-wing leaning bias. Well, Fox News is the more right-wing leaning outlet. I'm not picking on CNN for having a political bias. However, I am picking on CNN for saying that they report nothing but the facts, which we know is half true. Project Veritas had a whistleblower from CNN come forward with hidden recordings of meetings with the CEO of CNN, Jeff Sucker. This began to make the rounds in the media, and most of us were saying, hasn't this been public knowledge already? Well, yes, it is old news, but after eight years of media personalities like Jon Stewart or Stephen Colbert, who would night after night say that Fox News is the only biased outlet out there. These leaks from CNN show that they are helping push the impeachment narrative. And as I stated before, we're going to see the Mueller Report Part 2, Electric Boogaloo. It could be very much like in Part 2 of the Mueller Report, where we found that Trump mouthed off a lot, but had the thoughts stopped at that moment. Or we could see the Rudy Giuliani fed Trump bad information in regards to the DNC server hack in the 2016 election. Ultimately, this road is going to end with Rudy Giuliani testifying to the House. Do I think that the Democratic House has enough information as it stands to Leroy Jenkins' charge into impeachment? No. Do I think if Democrats have solid information that would indicate collusion, they would have a strong case for impeachment? Yes. Is it likely that the Democrats will actually get that evidence? No. 
do I think that impeachment will hurt the Democratic candidates for 2020? Absolutely. More to the point, all the candidates have avoided this altogether. All all the people on the Democratic side who are campaigning for president to ultimately receive the nomination have avoided the idea of impeachment altogether. So much so that they actually had to run on policy. Policy. Can you believe that? Policy. Yeah, you can't you can't make that up. You can't make that up. And as we can see, when Democrats run on policy, we know one of two things. One, they're bad, really bad. And two, it is the battle to faint moderation. Now, for the longest time ever, we thought that Joe Biden was going to get the nomination because he's Joe Biden and he does what he does and he's more he portrays himself as more of the moderate candidate and the alternative solution to outright socialist Warren and Bernie Sanders. While this Ukraine thing was going on, it hurt Biden and we thought that he was no longer the front runner and Elizabeth Warren came out of nowhere, came out of left field and began to take votes from Bernie and from Joe Biden. And for a moment, for a gleaming moment, we thought she was going to receive the nomination. Well, it turns out Joe's back, and he's back in the lead, according to new polls. And I I don't know. Do I believe that Joe Biden can take down Donald Trump? No, absolutely not. And I mean, here's why. Lately, he's been all over his mind. He's been all over the world. Out of his mind at the same time. With his policies. He can't make up his mind with what he wants to do. And I think if even if we put Trump up against the worst. Or I should say the best. The best of the worst, I should say. Democrat. He would still win, like you know, in a landslide. So, what does this mean for twenty twenty? Well, as of right now, the economy is strong with a growth of one point two percent GDP growth, as reported by the Bureau of Economic Analysis, and President Trump's incumbency factor may just seal the twenty twenty election in his favor. President Trump has support from eighty seven percent of Republicans. And I can imagine that this support can shoot up to 90 to 92% or possibly higher if the economy is strong and if the Democrats don't actually come up with any tangible evidence for impeachment. I think that the Trump re-election campaign and Trump himself have really hammered the message home that this, that all the Democrats want to do is undo the 2016 election results and... And this is the big part. They want to not only just overturn the 2016 election, but they know deep down in their hearts that they cannot beat him. And that this is the only way that they could possibly, and I mean possibly, remove him from office. If Trump capitalizes on this fact and he campaigns on these facts, then I am... 
going to say that there is a good chance that 2020 is going to be a landslide victory. Not to the same effect as President Reagan's re-election, but we could see something similar here. It's going to be an interesting couple of months, and we're going to have to watch with the utmost attention of this political circus we call the impeachment process. When asked, is there a case for Donald Trump, I think the answer is based on your party identification. If you're a Democrat, then of course you're going to say no, and if you're a Republican, then you're going to say yes. Now, let's, let's answer this question. Is there strongly a case for Donald Trump? Can we say that the media and the Democrats have been him, been against him since day one when he announced candidacy? Well, with everything that I just told you, we could easily say yes. And that's easily the case here. Two, are the Democrats trying to oust him out of office? Yes, of course. Can the Democrats actually beat Trump in 2020? No, I don't think so. Because them talking about slavery, reparations for slavery, and a wealth tax isn't going to win over the Midwestern states. It's not. It may get them the most Democratic states possibly in the East and West Coast, but do I think that a campaign that promises to tax the wealthy and to raise taxes on the middle class will actually win Middle Eastern states? No, of course not. Do I think that a candidate who has a strong economy now, or should say the incumbent who has a strong economy now, who is creating jobs left, right, and center, and who is basically calling out the Democrats for not doing a goddamn thing. Is that going to resonate more with the average voter? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we can see that. If we, if we learn anything from the 2016 election, it's that you can never underestimate the average voter. Because those, those voters are ultimately the ones that showed up to the ballot box and backed the right candidate. And that's not to say that Trump won solely because of the average voter. I mean, that is the main reason, but there are a collection of facts that led up to his victory in 2016. And I think when we're talking about 2020 and the election, I think we all have to vote. Or I think we all vote in a sense with our morals and values. If you believe that a man can identify as a woman and a woman can identify as a man and you throw out your logic through the nearest window, then it tends to be that you vote Democrat. If you believe that you have personal liberties that the government cannot take away, then you're most likely going to vote Republican. You know, that's it's sad to say. But almost anything, almost everything now that you encounter is politically uh, charged. So what do I think? Well, if any of you have been listening for longer than two seconds, you know exactly what I think. And you know that when 2020 comes around, I will be voting for Trump. Definitely. 
and mostly because I just don't want socialism at all at any point at any time no thank you no thank you socialism is is only as good as a person implementing the system and we know where that goes Karl Marx even said that socialism is the first stage of communism and we all know how communism works out so sorry to say Everyone in California, we don't think like you, and we probably never will. And I think that's a great thing, because we see what happens when a government tries to do everything. You get the highest homeless population, and nothing gets done. Nothing. Nothing. You, I mean, you even you can even just look outside, look outside the door of Los Angeles, and you can see that they've been running that beautiful city into the ground, and that's almost. I almost feel bad. I almost feel bad. I mean, you mean even in Texas, you look at Austin, you look at how people are transitioning Austin into this woke capital of Texas. Like, no, thank you, no, thank you. If that is the culture that is going to be dominant, I do not want to belong to that culture. I am happy with the values that I hold now, and I am confident to say that if given the choice, I would choose my values over wokeness. And I think that's the problem. Recently, one of my professors at University of Texas was talking about impeachment. And we got to the the point of the Republican charge into the secret deposition room beneath the Capitol. And he made the point, as all liberals seem to do, that there are Republicans on the committee. And that they their point that there are no Republicans in there is mute. Or I should say moot. Well, that's not really a complaint. Our complaint is that it's being held in private. They didn't do that to Johnson in the 1800s. They didn't do that to Nixon. And they sure as fuck did not do it to Bill Clinton. Why is Trump any different? We know that the Constitution grants the House and the Senate the sole power of impeachment. We know that. We know that for sure. Walter Nixon v. U.S. affirmed that. But why is it different? Why? When Senate and House Republicans impeached Bill Clinton, they didn't do it behind closed doors. They held public testimony. They held a public trial. And ultimately, Bill Clinton was acquitted online. Which is fine. That the Congress and the Senate gave the president his due process right sorry about that well, he gave him his due process rights now with Trump they're doing everything behind closed doors no one's allowed to know what happens in there wild there are wild accounts from both Democrats and Republicans alike and Adam Schiff is only leaking what he wants to be leaked. Why can't this be public? 
I'm all for it. I was all for the Trump administration releasing the whistleblower complaint. I was in favor of Attorney General Barr releasing the Mueller report and only redacting what by law had to be redacted. I was in full swing for transparency. Why can't we have that with this impeachment process? Why? Is it because they're hiding something? Is it because they'd rather do it in secret and they feel more comfortable behind closed doors? Or maybe C. Maybe this is just the political circus machine spinning at the highest fucking level. And, you know, multiple things can be true at once. But to that professor, I say that is our problem with this. It's not the fact that we're saying that there are not Republicans present. Because obviously in a committee, there are going to be. Our main issue with this is why in the blue hell is this being held in the basement of the Capitol and not in public? If you tried to conduct any court hearing in public, or I should say in private, without anybody else, you would get strange looks. Why is it any different? Now, I know that impeachment is not based in legality to say that the same principles would apply. I know that in order to, I know you can impeach for anything. An impeachment is basically like a suit. Anybody can sue for anything. Same thing with impeachment. But everyone by the Constitution is granted a speedy and public trial. Hence, due process. And they're denying that to the President of the United States. I mean, okay, even if we take out the fact that they're denying due process to the President... Why can't we face the whistleblower, the public? Why can't we see the face or know of the person who brought the complaint? It's not like we're going to go out and a mob and attack him. No, that's not why we want to know the identity of the whistleblower. We want to know because we want to know who is bringing up these charges. We want to know more about the complaint. We want to know more about the whistleblower. We want to make sure that this is not an attack on American democracy. When President Trump says that there is a deep state out there, he is absolutely right. When President Trump says that there is there are people in within his administration who always leak and are out to sabotage his agendas, he's absolutely right. About a year ago, there was an anonymous op-ed published, I believe in the New York Times entitled, I am part of the resistance in the Trump administration. I mean, that basically gives you all the proof you need. The proof is in the pudding. Are there people out there in his administration who tried to sabotage him? Of course. That's not even up for debate anymore. We have proof. We have proof. Do we have reason to believe that the deep state, or I should say the offices within the executive branch, have reason? Or... Trump has a reason to distrust these agencies in the executive branch? Of course. As we mentioned before, they spied on him illegally 
by broadening out an FBI investigation. Two FBI agents said that Trump would never be president and that they would make sure that that didn't happen. And I mean, if the deep state and the FBI and all the all the departments within the executive branch, if they had nothing to hide, right, why didn't just come out and say it? We had to find out through the Mueller investigation about the two FBI agents, we had to find, we had to wait until someone actually went and probed it. And I'm I'm actually glad that this Mueller Origins investigation is finally becoming a criminal investigation because now we get to hear the whole truth. We get to hear witnesses testify. Not really, because it's, you can't, we'll, we'll, we'll get a fuller story. We probably won't get to see the grand jury testimony as per Department of Justice regulations, but I would love, would love to know how this report got started. Why? Because if we can conclude that some shit is happening that shouldn't be happening, I think that the American public needs to know that. I think the American public needs to know if a Obama-era FBI actually targeted a political opponent. I know that Obama in the past has targeted political rivals. Look at 2012 when he used the IRS to target his political rivals. That we know. That we know. And it's clear as day. And we've all kind of acknowledged that. I think the American public has the right to know why or who this person is more in depth as the charges that he's bringing. And I would love to know how the Mueller investigation began. I think all of us would. I think even for those who disagree with me in my viewpoints, I think that more information is good, and the more of it that we have, the more informed we are as an, as a public, and we should strive for more transparency within the federal government. Now we'll just get to... This actually hurt in my throat. Actually getting over a, a uh, sickness. But that's okay. We don't stop for anything. Like I was saying, ladies and gentlemen, it's, it's getting weird out here. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. And we'd have to see exactly what will happen. And what actually happens. Because politics is oftentimes crazy. Or I should say all the time it's crazy. And you have to take it day by day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed this almost hour-long El Paso Conservative episode. And, you know, if you'd like to go out and support the podcast, you can go ahead and do that. You can find us where all podcasts are found apple news uh apple podcast google play spotify wherever you get your podcast don't forget to i guess you could say like the podcast make sure you go and give my friends over at open care texas and gun owners of america a like don't forget to join their ranks and don't forget to stay tuned 
because I believe that there's going to be a lot more that we're that we are going to have to cover, and unfortunately, we probably might. This is the Apostle Conservative, and I thank you all for listening. Keep America great, friends. <laughs>